Marty Caldwell. Marty Caldwell. Welcome to Let's Talk Adoption with Marty Caldwell. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are solely those of the hosts or guests and callers. Now here's your host, Marty Caldwell. Good morning and welcome to Let's Talk Adoption. I'm Marty Caldwell and it's a pleasure to be with you today. Each week our show will bring to you national experts, authors, adoptive parents, birth parents, real people that have been touched by adoption. Let's Talk Adoption is a weekly radio program that can be heard worldwide providing answers to your adoption questions. We cover many important topics. Um, we'll be covering open adoption, closed adoption, international adoption, um, book reviews, foster care, and birth parent experiences, and quite a bit more. You may participate today by logging on and emailing questions through our website at letstalkadoption.com. All through the week, Let's Talk Adoption takes questions from our viewers and listeners. If you'd like to leave us messages, we'll be able to, happy to answer those on the um, air. You'll find a lineup for upcoming shows and a free adoption newsletter. Previous show archives, adoption resources, and we created this show as a resource for birth parents and adoptive parents and adoptive children. We want to help you celebrate the joys of adoption. Here at Let's Talk Adoption, you have a unique opportunity to share and contribute as a birth parent, adoptive parent, and adopted child. Nowhere else as, as, uh, offers that type of uh, service. Our guest today is Rebecca Robinson. Rebecca is an adoption professional specializing in providing support to both birth parents and adopted parents. More importantly, she is a mommy to two adopted daughters. Join us to hear Rebecca's story and words of encouragement for all those who have been touched by adoption. Join us now for Let's Talk Adoption as we welcome today's guest, Rebecca Robinson. Rebecca, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me on the show today. Well, we're excited. And Now, Rebecca, you and your husband have adopted two children. Yes, um, we have. Tell, share with us a little about your experience um, in the adoption field and, and a little bit more background before we start. Sure. I've been a social worker at Lifetime Adoption for the past three and a half years. Prior to that, I completed my senior internship for my social work degree in an adoption agency. And as you mentioned, my husband and I adopted two beautiful little girls who joined our family through adoption, Emily, who is now four, and Elizabeth, who is two. And they were adopted at birth, right? Yeah, both of them at birth, yes. Mm -hmm. And... How has your, your personal experience with adoption, do you think, helped you professionally? I think it helps because in addition to having a professional knowledge of the adoption process, I have a real personal understanding of what it's like to build a family through adoption. And I found that having that experience has, has helped me in working with lifetimes waiting families and potential birth parents. Mm -hmm. It also helps so that I can share examples from my personal experiences um, with adoption helps me communicate empathy and gives kind of gives me the chance to offer certain suggestions about things that I found beneficial when I went through the adoption process. Right. For example, when my husband and I first heard about open adoption, we were both pretty critical of the idea of ongoing contact. Mm -hmm. But after having been through it and um, really teaching myself, my husband, and others about it, I can see why it's positive. For the girls and for us. For you. You did a lot of reading, too, ahead of time, didn't you? Yeah, I did. I really tried to educate. It's a scary idea at first, so it really involves a lot of education. Um, and so for myself reading the and book. also for my family. Right. Can you give us a couple ideas of some books maybe that you read that you thought were really helpful that may help our listeners? 
Um, I found um, talking with young children about adoption was a good one. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't remember some of the... I have a whole list of books written now. I don't have it in front of me. Oh, we might have that on our, our I uh, think site. it's on the website. Right, mm-hmm. and I think that'd be great. We can just put it on our website if anybody wants to visit that or Suggested email us. Suggested readings, info. yeah. We'd be happy to have that. What was the most difficult part of your adoption process for you and your husband? The waiting was really very, very hard. I think during a long wait, when it seems like nothing is happening, it's easy to start wondering what's the matter with us. Why isn't anybody choosing us? Um, But ultimately, I'm I'm not sure that that was the most difficult part. I think for me, trying to balance um, our excitement about becoming parents Mm -hmm. while respecting the birth mother's feelings um, after the match and her grief over not being able to parent was really difficult. There's such conflicting feelings that need to be acknowledged and respected. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was difficult too. And, and probably in both of them, did did you feel you had young birth moms, right? And so, did they have support? Do you think? Uh, yeah, they help? did. They did have support, which was very helpful. But when it comes time to actually leave the hospital with the baby, the feelings are so intense. It's such a bittersweet experience. Yes, I Both guess. times my husband and I were so overwhelmed with the love that our girls' first moms had for them. That They loved them so much that they were willing to do what was best for them, wow. regardless of how much it, it hurt them personally. And, mm-hmm. and I think, isn't that what a mother's love is really all about? It's such a self-sacrificing right. love. Yeah, that's so very true. And how long did you know your birth mothers prior to getting matched? Um... Both times, several months. Um, Emily's birth mom we met in August, and she um, delivered in November. Mm-hmm. And Elizabeth's birth mom, I think we met also um, maybe early October, and she delivered in December. Mm-hmm. So we so were able to know them for several months and go to some doctor's appointments beforehand, which was very nice. And that was nice. And how did that how go? How was it uh, when you visited the doctor too? Uh, gosh, seeing the ultrasound and, and that type of thing. How did that go? I think that's a very positive experience if um, if the adoptive parents have the opportunity to do that. I would encourage them to do that. I think it's really good to be able to meet the doctor uh, mm-hmm. ahead of time and to show the relationship that's there so he knows that um, that you're establishing relationship with the birth mother. Mm-hmm. And you also get a chance to see, the um, at least we did, hear the heartbeat, <laughs> make exciting. that emotional connection. Sure, and I think that's wonderful too. How did you go about bringing that up about attending the doctor's appointments, or did that so is that something the birth mother brought up? Um, you know, I don't remember. I think that she did bring it up um, both times that we were invited, mm-hmm. and that was sort of um, as the relationship developed. It you know we were um, had some time to get to know them a little bit, uh-huh. and then as she, I think both times as they felt more comfortable with us, then it was a natural progression to invite sure. us to the doctor's appointment. Sure. And, and what kind? No, the kind of relationship you have now that your daughters are older. Uh, mm-hmm. What do you have as far as a relationship with them? Yeah, well, they, we have an open relationship with both the girls' um, birth parents, both um, birth families, uh, including they have total knowledge of who we are, including our last name, our address, our phone number. Yeah. The extent of the openness um, has changed throughout the years, but both in both cases it includes letters, pictures, phone calls, visits. Um, they've been in our home. We've been in their home. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like any other relationship. It sort of grows and changes throughout the years, but it's we're very thankful for them. It's a very positive relationship. As far as your openness, I know a lot of parents probably listening are thinking, gosh, they've got our address. 
did you ever feel any threat at all from your birth parents that they were going to come back and take the baby or that um, this was a scary thing? Yeah, there are fears. My husband and I both had fears about openness in the beginning. I mean, we had all the typical fears, I think, that many people do. What if she changes her mind? What if she comes to the house and wants the baby back? Um, I think those are all really normal, um, natural things to, to fear. But actually what happened for us was that after we met the birth mother and, in many cases, her family, what happened was it helped decrease our fears instead of increasing them, which is the exact opposite of what many people believe will happen. Mm-hmm. So it um, decreased the fears by you got more comfortable with each other and trusting. Right. We we had answers to the questions that, that we were wondering about. We didn't have to worry about the unknowns. Um, you know, we knew that she knew where we were, so we didn't have to worry about her finding out later. Mm-hmm. Um, and the openness made us feel like that we had everybody's support to be these girls' parents. So in that way, it was a real benefit. And also, I think you had all medical information from both sides. Correct. Uh-huh. Which is a real benefit right there. Yeah, it, it definitely is. And you met the birth grandparents, or, or uh, were they living on their own? Correct. Yeah, we did. We met the birth grandparents in both cases. Mm-hmm. And in both cases, they were very supportive. Um, at first, Elizabeth's birth grandmother um, didn't think that adoption was the best idea, but after she kind of got to know us and um, looked at all the options, and she really has come around and is a very big supporter of the adoption now. That's great. So um, in, in speaking to families with some of the fears, what would you recommend as far as people trying to, you've got some great experience yourself, but is, is overcoming some of those fears and in, in the openness? Well, you know, what I do at Lifetime is I always encourage the families to at least be open to the idea of openness. And the reason I do that is because it's hard to imagine having an open relationship until you actually meet the birth mother and she becomes a real person. Right. So for us, the turning point really, uh, and when we decided that open adoption would work, was when we actually met her both times she became a real person to us and, and we could establish a relationship one-on-one and it wasn't just... Um, something we were reading about in a book, it becomes very, it becomes very real. I see, and, that, and I think that was a, the key. I think that's the key with a lot of families too, is they feel that once they've met them, um, they're not a stranger any longer. Correct. Yeah. And they've got that information too. Mm-hmm. Um, many times we hear about the fears of open adoption, um, and you share with some of those too. Um, when you first started out and, and searching for adoption, did you just have a lot of fears when you first started? Um, yeah, you... we did. We were like many other people who, um, you know, what we knew about adoption was what we saw in the media mm-hmm. and what was um, portrayed, and oftentimes that's not the most positive representation. It's kind of a stereotypical um, closed adoption um, portrayal in the media. Mm-hmm. And plus, the way that adoptions used to be, they were more closed. So at first we were scared because it was a very new idea for us. Right. But through the, like I mentioned before, the education process of reading and, and really being open to the idea of at least meeting with the birth mothers, I think that's critical. You don't think if families would just be open to the idea of it, that that would be a step forward. Mm-hmm. And what, now when you first meet, what's the suggestion when you first meet? Uh, you meet for lunch or did you meet for dinner or did you, where did you meet when you first met? Um, you know, it's a... The second time we met at the birth um, birth mother's grandfather's home, mm-hmm. so we met in a private home the second time. The first time we met actually at the agency that we went through, mm-hmm. 
and you know that's something that can be set up however you would like it to be sometimes sure. the first contact is over the phone usually the very first contact is over the phone and how did that go do you have questions do they have questions yeah it's a nervous time and that's completely normal I mean it's a nervous for a nervous time for her and for and for the adoptive parents and I think the important thing to remember then is that you're both nervous and to just be honest and at that time the important thing is just to kind of get to know each other a little bit mm -hmm. not to really um, have a list of questions that you try to grill her for information but just to kind of get to know each other a little bit during that first contact I think that's true because I think sometimes families will end up really they're so nervous that they they go like um, you know interrogation yeah. interrogating the, the birth mother on interrogating her on the questions and going down this whole list and right. the birth mom is blown away but they they want to know these things but not realizing they come out naturally many times too right and you know if it's an open relationship and you're committed to it like I said before it's a relationship that develops over time mm -hmm. and that first contact really just needs to be um, just getting to know each other and kind of lighthearted and those questions the important ones that need to be answered um, there's a time for doing that but usually the very first call is not the best time to go through all your questions right and I think a lot of them your adoption professional will be able to answer too so you can really get to the the nitty-gritty type things too right exactly and as far as talking to a birth mother for the first time and a lot of our listeners probably have not done that some have some are going through a second adoption a third what are some of the um, suggestions you can make to make that uh, conversation go a little smoother with talking to her for the first time right yeah well just being yourself as much as possible offer you know it's a good idea to have an idea of some of the areas that you would like to talk about some of the things that are more neutral like what her hobbies are mm -hmm. what she's interested in um, <clears throat> sort of a little bit about yourselves and what your hobbies are kind of the general type information um, you can ask her if she's seen your profile mm -hmm. or your dear birth mother letter mm -hmm. um, what was it about the letter that she particularly liked it's a good um, suggestion uh -huh. you know um, just at lifetime we have um, a handout a sheet that kind of goes over some of the suggestions about that first contact that's very helpful that our families use to kind of help them give them a jump start and what to do too <laughs> Excuse me, correct. Uh, uh -huh. I think that's really important. And I think, too, is um, I know that one suggestion we make is that uh, not to use a speakerphone um, when you're speaking to a, a birth parent. Right. That's for her. I've had birth moms say, gosh, I just hated that when they put me on speakerphone. Yeah, that seems to make them a little bit more uncomfortable. And also, the other suggestion is that, um, for at least for the first contact, that we like the woman to be um, the adoptive mother with the birth mother mm -hmm. it, most of the time that tends to be the most comfortable for both right at the very beginning and I think that's really true too and I know that a lot of times the adoptive father-to-be is the one handling the adoption process but birth mothers may not have a, a good feeling about just speaking to a, a man about this they don't know right about the details and, um, and I for think us they did speak with my husband Tim and and they continue to but the first contact was primarily with me and then it, that you. that part of talking with Tim and getting to know him that kind of came a little bit later so mm -hmm. and they have questions too that they ask any particular questions you can remember that they asked you um, well, that first contact probably they didn't ask is a whole lot, but during the process of getting to know each other, sure, they had questions about um, parenting styles and um, discipline and what, you know, our home was going to be like and what our hobbies were and 
kind of trying to give them a general idea of what day-to-day life is in our house. And I think that gives them a lot of peace, too, and that's yeah. how that relationship develops. Well, I'll tell you what, we're going to go ahead and take a short break right now. When we come back, um, Rebecca will be sharing more information on her personal and professional life in adoption. So during this break, break, feel free to go ahead and email any questions you have to input Let's Talk Adoption. We'll be right back. Lifetime Adoption facilitates domestic adoption of infants and older children nationwide. They have customized plans to fit any need and handle open as well as semi-open adoptions. Lifetime Adoption has a 24-hour, 7-day-a-week birth mother contact line. All their services are private and confidential, and financing is available. Visit their website at www.lifetimeadoption.com and see their over 80 online adoption family profiles. You can also visit the Birth Parent Seeking Family page. That's www.lifetimeadoption.com. LifetimeAdoption.com Right now, one of the hardest things is we see their friends and we see how much their friends have grown and changed and how big they've gotten and we cannot see how much Brandy Taylor and Sarah Francis have grown and changed and just going through those those milestone years. Brandy, Taylor, and Sarah Wiggins were killed by a drunk driver. Friends don't let friends drive drunk. A public service message from the U.S. Department of Transportation, the National Association of Broadcasters, and the Ad Council. How do you know when you've got the secret sauce that combines the right ideas and technology? What does it take to get that product built and launched? What type of sales force does your company really need? And what should the people who represent your company have in their toolbox? Join Lee Award Lee and her guests on her show, The Executive Toolbox, every Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific as they answer these questions and others while giving you insights into the confusing areas of business. Learn about the current state of technology and technology of the future with Lee Award Lee every Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific on her show, The Executive Toolbox, on voiceamerica.com. Every Monday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, join two very experienced business people for an educational program aimed at everyone who works. The Changing World of Work, Rich DiGiorgio and Pat McLagan, are thought leaders that focus on real-time issues that matter and drive effective change. No matter what your job, you can make the world of work really work for you. Your actions and decisions count on the changing world of work with Rich DiGiorgio and Pat McLagan, Monday mornings at 8 a.m. Pacific Time on VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to VoiceAmerica.com, the world's leader in Internet talk radio. Welcome back to Let's Talk Adoption with Marty Caldwell. If you would like to participate in today's program, you can email Marty at info at letstalkadoption.com. Now, once again, here's Marty. Well, thanks for joining us. I'm your host, Marty Caldwell, and Let's Talk Adoption. And today we're speaking with Rebecca Robinson. Rebecca is an adoptive mother of two adopted uh, children and also an adoption professional with Lifetime Adoption. And um, if you have any questions during this period of time, please just send them over to info at letstalkadoption.com. And uh, we're going to go back to our questioning. Uh, we had some information that we wanted to get from Rebecca regarding surprises that happened to Rebecca during your adoption experience. What, did, what happened that you didn't expect? 
Yeah, that's an important um, thing to bring up. I think both times for us we experienced things um, that we didn't expect to happen, and that's really where flexibility comes in. I think adoption is such a wonderful way to bring families together and build families. Some part of the process can be predicted. However, I think it's really important to remember that unexpected things can, and they often do occur. You're dealing with really intense emotions and intimate circumstances that require understanding and flexibility. I think understanding that sometimes the birth mother herself really doesn't know what how she's going to feel until the event happens. Mm-hmm. Um, like I make this suggestion at Lifetime to families that she may say ahead of time that she wants the adoptive couple in the delivery room, for example, mm-hmm. and then when she's actually delivering, she may decide that she <laughs> is in a lot of pain and she's scared and she doesn't want them in there. And I think it's really crucial at that point for the family to respect her decision, to try not to get upset. Um, I've really noticed that the families who are more flexible and are not trying to control everything have better experiences overall with their adoptions. It's impossible, as you know, Marty, to control every part of the adoption. Yeah, and I think that's really hard for parents that think, oh, my gosh, the red flag, she's changing her mind. Right, it is, and it is scary. It's hard not to like you say to get to get upset when those kind of changes happen but you have to you have to sort of be willing to um, go be flexible and to um, tell her whatever she needs is it that's okay if she decides when you get there that she doesn't want you in that room and she's been telling you the whole time that she that she does you have to do the best you can just to just say okay it's all right and she's going through labor pains and exactly. all this and she doesn't need additional stress right Right. I think that's really important to understand that, too. Right. And I know My that husband and I were in the room the first time. We had the opportunity and privilege of being in the um, labor room the first time when Emily was born, and the, and the second time we were right outside the door, and both times were wonderful. So, And you didn't really miss out on that because you had that relationship, too. Right. Both, both times we had really good relationships, and I think that's the most important part. Yeah. Does your extended family support um, the open relationships you have with your uh, birth parents right now? Yeah, overall we have very, our extended family is very supportive of the openness. Mm -hmm. It's been an educational type process because they, like us, have had to learn what open adoption is and what it isn't. Mm -hmm. Um, And also my husband's cousin happens to be a birth mother, so we've seen adoption from both points of view in our family. That's good. That was nice to have at least that that connection there too. Yeah, and we've kind of seen what it's like to be on the receiving end of the pictures and letters Mm -hmm. and the updates and they're much appreciated. I think How some people you... are, Go ahead. are threatened by the continued contact. Um, they are. And so sometimes we need to remind people why it's important. Mm-hmm. And most of the time they really just haven't given it a lot of thought. Like right. I was saying earlier, maybe they're responding to the stereotypical ideas of open adoption in the media. And sometimes the older generation in families, they know how adoptions used to be. and. Um, they figure it's best just to leave it the way it was, and that was completely closed. Sure. So it takes a little bit of education and perseverance, but in the end, I think it's really worth it to be committed to right. those open so relationships. How often do you meet with your birth parents? What's that? How often do you meet with your birth parents? Now? It varies um, in both cases. Emily's birth family lives in Louisiana, and we live in California, uh-huh. so the logistics of that make it a little bit more difficult. Um, we have um, been there. We have traveled there to visit. Uh-huh. And Elizabeth's birth family lives here in California, and um, we see them much more often. 
um, we're going down there this next month for the big annual family Easter egg hunt, so we're excited about that. In both situations, we um, do the letters and pictures and videos and phone calls. Um, And their family, um, as far as when they introduce you to, is their family pretty much open? You're going to this family get-together. Yeah, they, they're very open. Um, Elizabeth's birth family, they, um, the same group comes every year to the annual um, Easter egg hunt and also to the Christmas events that we attend down there. And mm-hmm. they all seem very supportive of our roles as um, the parents to Elizabeth. We're so thankful for that. It makes us feel so good. You know, I've said many times you can't have enough people love your children. That's right. And, you know, I think sometimes people assume that as the parents, the Emily and Elizabeth, that we will be threatened by the birth parents, but for us that just isn't the case. Openness isn't co-parenting, right. and because of that, there's it, there's no need to feel threatened. We feel mm-hmm. um, completely supported as the girls' parents, so we don't feel like they're trying to undermine our authority in any way. And and doing and doing this, and I know that you've done so much research and studying yourself, um, and, I, and we we can't emphasize that enough about reading and speaking to other people that have gone through an open adoption, at least to explore that area before they say no. But I find that a lot of parents that aren't open to any uh, openness at all really miss out on some wonderful birth mothers and some situations and some wonderful adoptions because they're not open to it. Do you find Correct, that Correct. Yes. If you completely say that you're not even open to the idea of openness, you do miss out on so many potential opportunities because all we really are asking is that you keep an open mind to the idea of getting to know who she is as a person Mm -hmm. and then deciding between you, you establish the amount of contact between the birth mother and the adoptive family. They establish what feels comfortable for them. I think I, I know that we have a few families that have um, developed relationships, and they don't have to come to your your home. In fact, some um, birth parents living in other other states will actually meet in the middle. You know, sure, yeah, and sometimes you can just meet at a uh, at a park or um, a neutral location that feels comfortable. It's mm-hmm. it's really a relationship that isn't um, it's not something that is monitored or mandated through through lifetime. It's a personal relationship, and you develop it. Um, as you go, it, it develops for what feels uh, right. comfortable mm-hmm. between all the parties involved. And like I said, it's not co-parenting. It's mm-hmm. diff- it's not that they're trying to assume that role. That role is is yours. It's not. Mm-hmm. I think we hear a lot of birth parents, and you probably do too, uh, that they just want to know they've made a right decision and that they have a, a comfort zone. And the child never has to wonder, why was I place for adoption and, and who, what, what do my birth parents look like. Right. Do you have any yeah. thoughts on that, too? Yeah, I, I think so. I think in a lot of ways, um, openness benefits the adoptive family and the child. Mm-hmm. Uh, it allows the adoptive family to have answers regarding their the child's medical background. They're much more likely to be notified of any significant medical events in their child's birth family when they remain in occasional contact. Right. It allows the adoptive family to have answers. Um, or at least a way to get them to questions that their son or daughter may eventually ask. Mm -hmm. I think it helps us as parents to truly know our children, including the parts of them that are passed down through genetics. Right. And I believe that it helps the children by seeing that adoption is nothing to be ashamed of. Mm -hmm. It doesn't need to be hidden. They may want to keep certain details of their adoption private, Mm -hmm. but it isn't a secret kept from them. I I think think that's very true. 
-hmm. to the questions discourages this fantasizing and filling in the unknowns that children sometimes do with imagined characters or if they if they don't have the answers they they will fantasize about what the answers are right and when they're provided with the truth i think they're a lot less likely to keep parts of themselves hidden right and as a mom i know and I'm sure all moms, they really want to know their children. I want to know my girls, and I want them to feel like they can talk with me about anything. And this isn't an off-limit subject in our home. And I think being open makes adoption less of an issue because it's not hidden. I think it's really important, and I think that um, uh, a lot of people just need to evolve into that point. They need to really think about it and, and learn about it so they don't feel uh, threatened by it, too. Right. And, um, you know, I think the areas that... Some people are concerned about is if the child was a, um, a product, maybe a, a date rape, or mm -hmm. uh, some other situations, unfortunate where the birth father is unknown. Right. I think those still can work out really well, don't you? Yeah, there's some tough issues. I mean, there's not a. I've as much reading as I've done. It doesn't seem like that there is a book that tells you these is the way. You know, this is how you have the relationship. These are the guidelines. This is. What you say. There are certainly some good resources that offer um, opinions and um, give you some suggestions about how to handle things. And um, some and of the I books that I've listed on that resource um, list will help deal with some of those tough issues. But overall, I think openness is a, the best choice. Mm -hmm. It's a truthful choice. It's not like it's focused on all the time. It's not. It's not something that we can um, talk about daily. But it's also not hidden. So. Um, like I say, I think being open makes the adoption less of an issue because mm -hmm. it's not a secret. And I think that's really true because people consider secrets, you know, bad. Right. And you've got some great books I know you've shared and purchased for your daughters to read. Um, any particular ones that are your favorites as far as for children to read about adoption? Yeah, there are a lot of really good children's books now that um, it seems like that really... Um, communicate adoption in a positive in a positive light and my actually the girls favorites are the ones that are personalized with their own adoption story mm -hmm. where you put pictures of them mm. at birth and put pictures of their birth parents and of us and it it's kind of a fill-in book where you um, can tell their personal story and put um, we've decorated them up with stickers and kind of personal mementos. Oh, so nice. And those are their absolute favorites. Mm -hmm. And then there's others that are also um, very good. Jamie Lee Curtis has written one. Um, yes, hers is great. And that one's a very good one. There's actually several that my girls really enjoy that we read. Um, I just think it, it adds, oh, and I think they're coming out more and more all the time. It seems like every time I turn around, there's another one. Great yeah, it's out. such a good way to communicate in language that they can understand mm -hmm. and in a positive way. Right, and I think, yeah, for even for extended family members. Uh, yeah, that's a really good idea. And uh, to, to read those stories with the children or read themselves just to kind of get an insight to it because you, you're right and mentioned that many people right. consider adoption like was 20, 30 years ago and it's not mm -hmm. a change tremendously in the last few years too right well rebecca we're going to take a short break right now when we come back we'll be sharing more information and uh we'll be taking um some questions this afternoon also uh from our listeners so hold on and we'll be right back don't touch that mouse Welcome to Let's Talk Adoption with Marty Caldwell. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are solely those of the hosts or guests and callers. Now here's your host, Marty Caldwell. Well, 
welcome back to Let's Talk Adoption. And today uh, we have a wonderful guest, um, Rebecca Robinson, and we'll be uh, finished up with her in just a few moments. But I wanted to share with you next week our guest will be Nancy London, and she's the author of Hot Flashes, Warm Bottles, uh, a much needed book for every woman approaching midlife with young children or for older people considering adoption. Um, so tune in next week on Tuesday to hear that program uh, during the week. And now you can email us with any questions you have to be answered on the air at info at Let's Talk Adoption. So, Rebecca, getting back to um, a couple questions we had here, mm-hmm. what suggestions can you give others regarding maintaining um, contact with their child's birth family? Mm, I'd just like to encourage them to honor any contact agreements that they make. Um, we've seen families establish websites. Mm-hmm. Um, recently, um, we've seen some really nice ones where you can post recent pictures of your children kind of, and some stories and then the birth family can visit the site whenever they want to as, as well as your extended family mm-hmm. um, for an update on how the child's doing. That seems to work really nicely. Also for, um, you might consider email, it seems to work really good especially for new parents since the phone can sometimes be inconvenient and wake the sleeping baby. That way you can send and um, receive it when it works well during um, naps and such, and sending um, copies of pictures and even an occasional video is a nice way to stay in touch. We um, have done the videos before, and that um, seems to be very much appreciated. That sounds wonderful. Now, do you send your videos actually hard copies of videos, or do you have streaming on, on the, uh, online? Yeah, they're just hard copies. Mm-hmm. If I was more technically inept, I probably would be able, I mean, sure. uh, probably be able to do that online. But. but I think what you said about honoring that agreement, if you've made an agreement, only get into a relationship where you can honor and keep that promise because you don't want a birth mom calling you 18 years later and telling your child, you know, your adopted parents told me they would send this and they didn't do it exactly. and how angry you was. right. And, and what does that communicate about the promises that you make? Yeah, and I think that's extremely important right there. It's just, you know, what goes around comes around. I think it's real real. It just needs to be an ethical thing, too. Right. How does openness benefit the adoptive family and their child, just in a nutshell? We touched on that a little bit before with the, um, knowing the medical background sure. and with having the answers that you need when when they come up. Mm-hmm. Um, for instance, some of the questions that you're going to have aren't going to come up right away. It could be, um, could be several years later and something will come up maybe in your child's um, yeah, I think you know, medical condition or um, when you're at the doctor's office and you have a question about um, if it runs in their family genetically and it's really nice to be able to have the openness where you feel comfortable enough to just call and ask and then you can communicate to your child's pediatrician that's the truth. Yeah, what you found it. out mm-hmm. and really for adoptive parents that sometimes is a luxury because as you know sometimes uh, especially in closed adoptions they didn't have the medical background that they needed to make the good um, sound medical decisions. Right. I, I think that's the, the medical, if nothing else, but I think there's so many more benefits, too. Did you have challenges, uh, and how did you deal with them in your really open relationship? I know you've talked about that a little bit, but how did you handle any of those and, and the encouraging words you can give to other people, too? Yeah, the, these relationships are really like any others. They they aren't immune to problems, and because of the emotionally charged issues involved, it's, it's likely that some of this disagreements will occur um, throughout the years. I would just say that if um, problems do arise, um, that you deal with them as you would any other important relationships in your life. Very good try advice. to be honest about your feelings and keep some level of communication open. That's what we, we have tried to do. And um, If you come to a place, we haven't experienced this yet, but if you come to a place 
where you feel like you need help working through the problems, you can consider seeking some kind of outside assistance, mm -hmm. such as a counselor that specializes in open adoption to right. mediate through that tough time. The children are really the focus and their well-being is the utmost importance. And I think if all the adults um, focus on that, that the problems will be minimalized. Child that. focus and the benefits of the child, I think that's really important. Yeah. I think so, too. And, you know, some people are worried their children are going to be confused. Have you ever found your children be confused on who their mommies and daddies are? No, they're not. Emily, um, our four-year-old, she knows her birth story, and she likes to hear her birth story, and she knows who her birth mom is, and in and, and general terms that a four-year-old can understand, she um, communicates what that means. Um, and she she seems to be very clear. The books that we mentioned before really help in communicating that, too, in a language that she can understand. And plus, she feels open to talk with us anytime she has questions. That's um, great. Because she knows that we, you know, um, that's not an off-limit subject. So I think that really helps communicate that it's not a negative. Right. I know that some of the challenges women have, you know, as adoptive mother myself, too, is that waiting period. You know, oh, yeah. That waiting period. How did you spend your time while you're waiting to be a mom? Oh, I tried to stay busy with my work, and I focused on enjoying the last months of alone time with my husband. <laughs> yeah. It's it's really hard, as you know, not to put your life on hold when you're waiting. Mm -hmm. And the first time, we had a, a very long wait, and we experienced a fall-through during our effort um, the first time. And, mm -hmm. and then after that, the waiting seemed a lot harder for me. Um, looking back, obviously, I can see God's plan and his timing. Mm -hmm. And it was perfect, um, but at the time it was really difficult yeah. for us. So I, I think that that, that experience um, has helped me in my empathy for others who have long waits and, and helping w them walk through that process. So in a way, it's been a benefit. Um, well, I, and think I think, you know, staying busy, get your home study completed, preparing yourself to the extent that you can to become parents, educating yourself about adoption, all that's important, and I certainly did that during our wait. I also started a journal to my to my children, oh, which included some of my feelings about waiting for them. Mm -hmm. And after everything was kind of prepared, I just tried to focus on nurturing all the relationships in my life because, you know, those are the people who are going to be excited for you and rejoice with you. That's a nice, it sounds very balanced in that, and uh, I know that that's, I think, one of the most difficult things people have is during that waiting time, what do they do? Right. Did you set up your nursery at all during we while you We did the first time. Bef um, when we, before we experienced that fall-through, we had the nursery all set up, mm -hmm. and the fall-through happened um, right before um, the little baby boy was, was born. Mm -hmm. So after that, the nursery was complete, and I just had to close the nursery door and, and um, just wait for God's timing after that. Right. And and you got through it. You ended up. That's adopting. right. It's a pot. It is a positive, and we learn from from those experiences. And I think that's the emotional aspects of waiting is just having, like you said, a, probably a really good faith that you know that God had a plan for you. Yes, and definitely. That, you that helped my faith. Um, I think my husband's faith really helped us a lot through that process. Mm -hmm. Did you find it brought you closer together, or were there challenges with that? Absolutely. I think going through infertility. Um, was very difficult, but then we came through that, and we're stronger for it, and I think the same for um, the adoption process. That long wait um, was a learning experience, but I came away with it, um, learning um, quite a bit about ourselves and being strengthened through it. Yeah. You know, as an adoption professional, um, how important do you feel counseling is for a birth parent? I think it's very important. I think that um, some 
birth mothers, we've found um, decline the counseling. Mm-hmm. We always offer it. We try to encourage them to do that. Um, sometimes they just do not want counseling, so we can't force the issue if she's, um, you know, um, feeling like she doesn't need it. But uh, some are more open to the idea and are encouraged to do so. It seems like sometimes the um, birth mothers get their support in other ways. Sometimes they have a friend who have been through the process, and that's their primary support. Their family's supportive. Um, it depends on what her support system is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know who she has that um, is helping her on her side. And I think that yeah, some of the women I know that I've heard too that you know they've had three or four children already, or they right. face a child for adoption. I know sometimes that causes concern for the families if she declines the counseling. But really, you have to just look at the big picture and see, um, you know, yeah, like if um, what her situation is. Mm-hmm. And just because she declines it doesn't mean that she's not handling the emotions and working through the process. She right. just may have a different idea of how to do that best for herself. Mm-hmm. What um, what needs do you have? I, you know, I know that Lifetime has a lot of birth moms that come through there. They're usually working with 80 to 90 birth moms at a time. What needs do you have as far as birth mothers not having enough families for? Can you share with us what you're, what you're looking for now there in the center? We always have, it seems like, a need for um, African-American and, and biracial adoptive families. Um, the match time for these families tends to be much um, quicker because there's always a need. It seems like as soon as we get, um, we're always so excited when we have a biracial or African-American waiting adoptive family because they match and have their babies so quickly because mm-hmm. the need is so great. That would be probably the primary um, need that I would want to highlight today. And that's, and that's I think, very, very important. And, and do you get older children or the older children or... Um, we do occasionally have older children. Um, the primary, um, as you know, that we work with are the um, newborns, but we do have older children. And sometimes when we have a specific need, you can see that on our website. It's highlighted um, for people to see that we have uh, a child that's in need. 24 um, hours. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, and that, the website is www.lifetimeadoption.com. Right. So they can go there and they kind of get an idea, too. Are you considering adopting any more children? Um, no, I think my husband and I are so blessed and pleased to have adopted two. We're so delighted. And I think that two is going to be good for us. And that will be plenty for you. And I think everyone has their own threshold of what they Yeah, want. it's so. wonderful, though. It, it, it's well worth the, all the effort that goes into it. Yeah, I think that uh, everyone's a little bit different, too. Are there any uh, anything else you'd like to share with the uh, listeners before we go to break? Oh, just that it's, it's, like I say, it's just worth all the effort that you put into it. For those of you who are waiting, um, you will forget all the difficulties you're going through right now. And just like natural labor, the pain stayed after you're holding your child and you realize you went through all of this for them. Yeah, I think so too. Well, thank you for listening. We're going to take a short break and we'll be right back with your online questions in our mailbag. We're going to have one last uh, message from uh, Rebecca, so don't touch that mouse. We'll be right back.
Lifetime Adoption facilitates domestic adoption of infants and older children nationwide. They have customized plans to fit any need and handle open as well as semi-open adoptions. Lifetime Adoption has a 24-hour, 7-day-a-week birth mother contact line. All their services are private and confidential, and financing is available. Visit their website at www.lifetimeadoption.com and see their over 80 online adoption family profiles. You can also visit the Birth Parent Seeking Family page. That's www.lifetimeadoption.com. Welcome back to Let's Talk Adoption with Marty Caldwell. If you would like to participate in today's program, you can email Marty at info at letstalkadoption.com. Now, once again, here's Marty. Well, welcome back, and I'm Marty Caldwell, and we're going to wrap up this segment with our guest, Rebecca Robinson. Um, Rebecca, can you leave us with one last tip as an adoptive mom or a professional for our listeners? Yeah, I think it would be just to offer a word of encouragement to those of you who are listening and planning on adopting. Adoption is a wonderful way to build families, as we've talked about this hour. And I know that the process can sometimes be overwhelming, and it's normal to be fearful of the unknowns. But we just encourage you all to stick with it. I recently read that courage isn't necessarily demonstrated by a lack of fear, but courage is a willingness to proceed despite our fears. To just encourage you to take each day as it comes to nurture your relationships and be encouraged that your family will soon be growing in a wonderful way. And thank you so much for having me on the show today. Thank you, Rebecca. And I know our listeners appreciate sharing your personal life and, and the information you've given today. And I'm sure it will help many adoptive parents and birth parents, too. Thank you so much. Thank you. Now we're on adoption mailbag. Each week we're going to be answering questions from our listeners. And this week we have our marketing director, Luann Carroll, She'll be um, reading from our e-bag, our email questions, and uh, welcome, Luann. Can you hear us? Hi, Marty. How, How are, are you? you today? Good. Um, um, what do you have for us today? Okay, our first question is from Susan Dance. Mm-hmm. She'd like to know, how do middle-class families afford adoption? Well, that's always a big question, and I think, in our mailbag about financing. And, you know, there are many different ways, and I'm working on a book right now about financing your adoption, so if you sign up for our, our newsletter, um, you'll be notified as soon as it's ready to go, and I would encourage you to do that. In the meantime, if you want to email us, we can send you some financial resources to contact. I think a lot of times you have to you have to take a pencil and, and pen and, and, and paper and really pencil out what you want and the expenses you're going to be looking at, and then look at the way you're spending money now. And we were talking just recently over the weekend about how just saving a mocha from Starbucks every day <laughs> can help pay for <laughs> some of your fees. So I think um, there are ways to fund it, and there are organizations um, that have sliding scale fees, and so I wouldn't give up, and I would do a lot of research. And, and if you'll email us again, we'll be happy to send you that little resource guide. Okay, great. And our next question is from Shelby and Phil in Los Angeles. They want to know what are some specific things that they can do to fund their adoption. Well, a few things that I have found. Um, we have a, a lady I know that has, um, she's funding her adoption through eBay, and she's actually asked her friends and family to donate uh, goods to the cause, and she um, takes photographs of them, she uploads them, puts them on eBay, and she sells them, and all the money she makes on that goes toward her adoption. Her kids have gone through their videos, they're, they've outgrown, and because she has children already, and she's adopting again, um, and they're taking the Disney videos and these other clothing that they've outgrown, and they're selling them on eBay. And she's made quite a bit of money. And I've known a lot of people that have saved thousands and made money with, you know, something in their attic. So I suggest that people, 
you know, uh, look around them, see what they have. That's one way to fund it. Other people have fundraisers of a spaghetti seed at their church. Um, they'll have um, different types of fundraising events that they put on themselves for that particular thing. You might have an event where you have, in Nevada City, we have a bicycle race. And our daughter sells lemonade. She's made $58 in lemonade sales uh, just at a quarter piece um, by selling lemonade. That's for her own personal use. But, you know, there are ways to do it. So I would encourage you to really think creatively on how you can do it. And, again, in the book coming up, uh, Financing Your Adoption, we'll be talking about some of that. So hopefully that will help you, Shelby and Phil. Okay, and if we have time for one more question, um, Sarah and Bob Parker from Spokane, Washington want to know, can you get medical exams before you take the baby home from the hospital just to make sure that the baby is healthy? You know what, you can, and what will happen is you want to find out, um, I know we have another possible question about getting a pediatrician. I would encourage you to um, speak to the doctor at the hospital if you can, and you can go ahead, and many times that in, the insurance will cover the exams. Now, you don't want to go overboard and be poking the poor little baby, but if there's a concern you have, ask the pediatrician that delivered the baby that was there uh, at the hospital that, after the baby was delivered and see if there's any concerns for those testing. If not, when you get home, you can always have those run. But um, normally, the hospitals have a pretty good take on the health of the baby when it leaves the hospital, too. Okay. And then um, we do have one more. Mm -hmm from uh, Sue and Jerry in Sacramento. Mm -hmm. um, they're brand new at adopting. They've mm -hmm. just decided that they want to do it. Okay. They are totally overwhelmed at all the information available and want to know where's the best place to start. Well, uh, basically, I would, uh, like Rebecca had mentioned, I would encourage you to start by doing a lot of reading and researching this, just like you were, you're building a home. You're building the most important home you ever built, and you wouldn't just hire the first contractor. I would go out there, I'd look at the work they've done, I'd uh, talk to people they've adopted from. I'd look at their track record, check with Better Business Bureau, and uh, take a few months just to figure out who you're going to go working with because it's a very important relationship you're going to have with this with this adoption professional. Make sure they're ethical. Make sure they've got a good, strong track record. They're good at communicating with you. And um, I will look for someone with uh, seasoned. And again, if you go to our site, we have resources on there. But at this point, just start little by little every day working towards your adoption. And I think that's it, um, Luann, for our mailbag. Well, thank you very much. Thank you, and we appreciate your assistance. Okay. Tune in next week when my guest will be Nancy London, author of Hot Flashes and Warm Bottles. Uh, it's a very special book written for adoptive mothers or uh, biological mothers um, that are over the age of 40. And remember, our show is broadcast every Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time and Eastern at 12, uh, 12 noon. And also, the show is then rebroadcast at 9 p.m. Pacific TalkAdoption.com, and our program and guest information is listed on our site also. For more information, sign up for our newsletter and email your questions to us at info at letstalkadoption.com anytime during the week. Your questions will be answered on the air. I want to thank you for joining us today. Um, during this last hour, I hope you found the show to be informative and help to, helpful. We've enjoyed having you. We have new guests coming in all the time. If you have any suggestions for guests you'd like to hear on Let's Talk Adoption, feel free to email me. And until next week, this is Marty Caldwell, and God bless you. You've been listening to Let's Talk Adoption with Marty Caldwell. Tune in again next Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, right here on voiceamerica.com. Oh!